Last week, we had a passage of scripture that dealt with wisdom. And we compared worldly wisdom with the wisdom that God provides for us. And we mentioned that this passage of scripture was couched in between the last part or the first part of James 3 that had to do with the tongue. But then also James chapter 4 that has to do with anger. So I kind of warned you that we were going to be talking about anger this morning because that's where we're going here in the book of James. So why don't you follow along with me as I read the first six verses of James chapter 4. This is what the pastor of Jerusalem says to Jewish Christians that are dispersed uh, throughout the, the countryside, throughout Palestine, due to the persecution. James says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, may God use his word today um, as as an x-ray, as a scan over our hearts, that we would see who we really are and then provide the remedy through the cross. Let's pray together. Father, as, as we look at these words, once again, James is confronting us with a certain sin that all of us engage in at one level or another. And so there is a potential here to be equipped further to fight this sin in our life. To diagnose why is it that I lash out Why is it that I smolder in anger? God, help us to see ourselves and our hearts, our motives this morning through these words. And then help us eventually then to find ourselves in the grace that we need there provided through Jesus dying on the cross for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, over these weeks, we've been considering what a healthy church is. And it could be that we would trace ourselves back and say, I wish that I could be a part of an ideal New Testament church. A church that had no problems at all. Well, think about that for a little while. Here's the problem with that idea. Is that because the church is comprised of people, and where there are people, there are problems. Where there are problems, there will be conflict. This week I heard about a young pastor that was just getting started in the ministry. He had a few kids and on one day he was in the house and his kids were playing with some other kids in another area of the house. And while he was studying, he heard this loud noise and these kids were like they were fighting with one another. And he gets up and he walks across the house and he says to them, 
What, what are you guys doing? What, what are you, why are you making all this noise? What are you playing? And one of his own children look up at him and says, Dad, we're playing church. <laughs> and, and this is the thought that people can have, is that church is all so smooth, but in actuality, because there is people, there is conflict. Just consider a quick survey of the New Testament churches, the church in Corinth. This was a church comprised of sinners. In fact, in the sixth chapter of 1 Corinthians, we find out that the members are actually suing one another. We could go a little bit further. We could consider the church of Galatia. This was a church that Paul said in Galatians 5 that they are biting and devouring one another. I don't think that's to be taken literally, but that's a metaphor that they are after each other. In chapter 4 of Ephesians, we see the church in Ephesus. Paul is urging them to seek unity with one another. And often we hold up the church in Philippi as that model church where there are no problems at all. But in the third chapter, we see that there are two prominent women that are at odds with one another. So now when we get to the church in Jerusalem, of which James is the pastor, we ought not to be surprised that there are some divisions, there are some arguments that are surfacing within the church. We found out in chapter 2 of James that there is this rivalry, that are people that actually play favorites to the rich people in the church and look down at the poor people in the church. And a little more illumination is provided here in chapter 4 as we find out that there are those that are angry with one another and this is causing arguments. So we're going to deal this, this morning with anger, a case study in anger. And before we launch into this, it's helpful for us to remember that not all anger is bad. There is something called righteous anger. In Psalm 7, verse 11, it says, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. Because God is good, because he is just, and there is evil in the world, he has indignation, anger, every single day. Not only this, but we see this in Jesus as well. There was a time in Mark chapter 3 where he was about ready to heal a man with a withered hand. And in the crowd that day were people who were looking to, to, to have a cause to, to bring a charge against Jesus. They were wondering, is he going to heal on the Sabbath? And in Mark chapter 3, verse 5, it says, And Jesus looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. In fact, Paul in Ephesians 4 said, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So just just to reinforce this, that not all anger is bad. When we hear about trafficking of young people, when we hear about babies being killed, when we hear about abuse, there is something appropriate for us to have a response of anger towards that, a righteous anger. But that is not what James is referring to in this passage. He is referring to more of a sinful, selfish anger. So you might be able to tell that I I was praying through and meditating on this passage 
while in a hospital over these last couple of days. So that has influenced my outline in thinking about this anger. So I'm calling it a case study in anger, and here is my outline. We're going to consider the symptoms of anger. We're going to consider the underlying causes of anger. And then we're going to consider the solution to anger, the treatment of anger, and then the prognosis of anger. So James, I think maybe he would turn in his pastoral suit on this day and take on the vest or the the garment of a doctor. And maybe we'll call him instead of Pastor James this morning, he will be Dr. James to us. So let us first consider the symptoms of anger. Look with me again at chapter 4, verse 1. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? So imagine you are are brought in to a consultation. And there across the table is Dr. James. And he says, what brings you in here today? You say, I've got conflict in my life. It's manifested in quarrels. It's manifested in fights. The word quarrels is this ongoing, prolonged struggle with another. The word fights is a specific one. And these are demonstrated within the church. Jay Adams, in his book on, on wisdom and, and, and how to apply it in our life, he was citing some examples. An example of two women in a, in a Bible study within a church that have differences with one another. And instead of them coming to one another and working out those differences, they actually get people on their side. And as a result of just an argument between two people, there's two different sides. And this methodically works its way through a, her, a whole church family. He gives another example of a deacon who, who has this idea that he thinks would be a good thing for his church to act on. So he, he offers it in a deacon meeting. But no one else agrees that that is a good idea, not even the pastor. And so he storms out of the meeting, out of anger, and says, no one will listen to me. And as a result of causing this sort of problem... His anger needs to be addressed by leadership. And it sets the progress of that church back months. Another example of a a pastor. Another person within the church, a leader, has a difference with the pastor. And he calls him a name and actually prays that the pastor will make mistakes in order that he could be fired and move on from that church. These are all expressions of what can happen within a church. And maybe you've seen some of that. So... The first symptom is this conflict with others. You see it's in quarrels, you see it's in fights, but you also see another word that is used here in chapter 4, verse 2. It is the word murder. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. Are you actually saying that one of the symptoms of anger that could be expressed in the local church is murder? Well, I think that is the word that's actually being used here. And while we might not see it in the New Testament church, we certainly see it in the Old Testament. A man named Absalom, whose father was King David. And there was this, this dispute between the father and the son. And instead of having that remedied and reconciled, the father let that relationship go estranged for years. And eventually Absalom, the son, took up an offense against his father. And sought to thwart him from the kingship. Even if that meant his life would be taken. 
That would be murder. As you know the story, it never did actually happen that way. David's life wasn't taken by his son Absalom. It could be more that this word is to be taken more metaphorically. That our anger could be expressed as a symptom by how we actually hate another person. John said in 1 John 3.15, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So one might say, you know what? I detest my father. I have a boss that has wronged me. My coach, he's a jerk and he plays favorites. And while I might not have the guts to kill that person, to be honest, it wouldn't bother me at all if they were removed from the face of this earth. There's another word here, another symptom, and that is the word covet. We see it again in verse 2 of chapter 4. It says, you covet and you cannot obtain. The word covet in the, the Greek language is the word xeno, where we get our word zealous. And this word is translated in chapter 3, verse 14 and verse 16 as the word jealousy. It means that I am so angry. I'm angry that my coworker gets more money than I do. Or maybe we would phrase it this way. Must be nice to be able to avoid or to purchase a new SUV. It must be nice to be able to get a, a new kitchen. It must be nice to, to get a new dress. It must be nice to be able to go up north or, or whatever during the summer. And if we are not careful, that is just the symptom of a boiling anger within us. So there is not only a conflict with others, but there's another symptom of a conflict with self. Look with me again at chapter 4, verse 2. I'm sorry, verse 1. It says this, Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? James is saying here that there is a war It's not going on out over here, but it's actually going on inside of us. This is something that is bottled up. A person can be frustrated, and maybe they lack the ability to articulate it themselves. But we can discern and say, you know, that person right there is an angry man. He's an angry woman. And so it can be sensitive, irritable prickly, short fuse, anything could set them off. A couple of years ago, I was leaving the church and I was going up to a a store just up here on North Military. And as I was pulling in the parking lot, I, I found a spot that I assure you that I parked within the lines. And then there was a lady that I'd never met, never seen before, that was right next to that parking spot. And as I was getting out of the vehicle, she looked at me and said, You almost hit me once you learn how to drive. And I looked at her and I thought, where did this come from? This seems so inappropriate. I'm clearly parked within the rules here. I'm right within the lines. And she looked at me and says, I can't believe you almost hit me there. And I thought for a moment and I said, "Uh, I didn't say this, but I thought this. If you want to see how close I can get, let's try that again. How about you park right here? I'll back up. And let's see how we can do this. But I didn't. And as I reflected on that, I think 
that situation had nothing to do with me at all. But it could be that there was something, some conflict that was going on within her that would set her off at just the slightest push. So there's not only conflict with others, there's also conflict with self. And the third symptom here is conflict with God. You see it there in chapter 4, verse 4, where it says, Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Listen to this, and this is really, this is, this really helps me in my life, and, and I'm, this is where I'm at in my life. God has wisely positioned people and events in our lives for our good. Sometimes we get angry about those. I'm just thinking of a few instances in, in recent weeks. I've got this vehicle that has windshield wipers just like yours. And as if it's raining, and it's been raining, it seems like all late summer, right? And I've got this windshield wiper that the only place it does not clear up the rain is exactly where I need it. Everywhere else is very clear. Does anyone ever have something like that? And I want to be angry at that. But here's the point. God is all wise and God has ordained that I would have a windshield wiper just like that at this time. To reveal stuff about me. And ultimately to get it replaced, right? Because it's not safe. But I can drive in my driveway like many of you. And and as I drive in, and all I want to do is get a clear path to the garage. It's not unusual for there to be a bike right in the middle. Or a scooter. And instead of saying, God, you have ordained that this would be placed here at this time. For me just to simply get out and and, and to learn a little bit about myself. How I need self-control. I can be upset about that. Maybe you have a vehicle that has a, a malfunction in it and you just get irritated by that when God says, no, actually, I have put that there right now for you to depend on me, to remind you that what really matters is eternal stuff. Maybe you have a cell phone and you've had to call customer service. I mean, that is, I'm convinced that that is one of God's greatest methods of sanctification. Amen? <laughs> Maybe you've had a package uh, that you want and, and, and Amazon told you it would be here by Thursday and it's still not there and you, you can get upset about that and you can have conflict. God, where are you? You might not say that, but that's actually what's taking place. And arou- anger can be aroused in you. So you're sitting down in front of Dr. James and he's saying, explain to me your symptoms. And he's working through this checklist. Well, I've got conflict in my life. I've got conflict in my family. I've got conflict at work. I've got conflict among my friends. I've got conflict among my neighbors. I've got conflict even in church. And truthfully, I've got conflict within myself. There are times I get so upset, I'm not even sure why I'm upset. And actually, I also got conflict with God as well. Because I get upset when he allows things to happen in my life instead of humbling myself and asking for his grace. Well, Dr. James might think for a little while and say, okay, I think I've I've understood your symptoms. Allow me to take some time now and and provide some help for you to understand the underlying causes to your sinful anger. So number two is causes. And we can trace it back 
to a couple of words here, and that is unmet selfish desires. So look with me again at chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Passions. This Greek word is the word hedonoam. It is where we get our word hedonist that speaks about seeking pleasure. This word here is expressed in sensual, natural, fleshly desires that craves a self-pleasure and sinful delights. Where God has wired us and created us to find our delight in Him, instead we seek to find our delight in things that He has made. And these passions can be traced back to whom we really are at our very core. Jesus said it this way, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. So here is the process. We are discontent with where God has us in our life. This leads us, one, to allow ourselves to desire, to have a a sinful, selfish desire. Two, this desire begins to dominate our thoughts. Three, it becomes a ruling passion. And we begin to scheme to get it. Even if that means running over people that are in our way. And then finally, fourthly, we act on it. One, we allow ourselves to desire it. Two, this desire begins to dominate our thoughts. Three, it becomes a ruling passion. We we scheme for it. We eliminate anyone who gets in our way. And then fourthly, we act on it. And it would be really helpful for us loved ones to understand that these passions are really strong and can be very destructive. Just think with me for a moment about a cigarette package. You can open up or look at that package and there's a label on it, isn't it? I was looking at this this morning to see what some of the examples of those labels were. It could say something like, warning, to smoke this will kill you. And that's kind of what it says. Or, or this addictive substance may cause lung cancer. And you know what people will do anyway? Despite what that truth is, they smoke it. I have an uncle that's a, a fisherman, and, and he lives in the middle of the state, and there's a guy, he's got a fishing buddy that knows that area, knows the river, maybe as well as anyone in that area. So my uncle Kenny always likes to go with him. But this fishing buddy has a drinking problem. And he is one of which uh, has had many warnings and he has been arrested several times for drinking and driving. In fact, they said to him, if you get arrested one more time, you will go to jail for over ten years. But this desire within him, these passions within him, this selfish bent that he has, would overrule wisdom and logic and rational thought. And he would do it again. And he would be an incarcerated then for over 10 years. And that's exactly what happened. These desires are so strong that they can ruin a family. A spouse can look across the table of another one and says, Listen, if you continue to look at impure things on that screen, I will leave you. And you will lose your family. And you will experience financial hardship. But that desire towards sin is so strong that that person would still participate in that sin, meaning that they would lose everything and they do it anyway. I mean, just think of this. Think with me the celebrities 
that that had been so skilled in whether it was acting or whether it was music. They had everything that the world could offer them. Fame and wealth and houses and cars. And, And they would get involved in drugs. And they knew that the drugs had the potential to destroy their life. But the passions, the desires were so strong towards those sinful things that they overrode. I mean, just think of some names with me over history. Marilyn Monroe. Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison. Think with me of more recent names like Whitney Houston, Prince, Tom Petty. All of these have overdosed with drugs. The desire, the passions are so strong that it actually led them to destructive behavior that would claim their life. So the first underlying cause of your anger, Dr. James is saying to us, is these passions within us. Unmet. The second is prayerlessness. Look with me what it says here in verse 2. The second part here says, you do not have because you do not ask. The next part of verse 3, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So God has provided for all of us a safeguard against our anger. And it's prayer. It's to go through this pressure that we're experiencing in our life. And instead of venting it on people around us, we are to go to God with it. And what would happen if each time we experienced some selfishness, we brought it to God? Would he not correct us? I mean, have you ever done that yourself where you're upset with something? You say, Lord, I'm going to bring this to you in prayer. And in the process of your praying, the Holy Spirit reveals to you that you're the problem, not that other person. So what keeps us from from having self-control is prayerlessness. We don't bring it to God. God would say to us, actually, I have this situation in your life for a good reason. I I want you to be humbled. I want you to learn more about my grace. I want you to learn more about my spirit. Now, be quiet And let me work in your life and be patient. But James, the doctor here, is saying many of us don't do that. Instead, we just go off and do our things and we get conflicts with others, conflicts with him, and conflicts with ourselves. When here's this wonderful truth in 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will always provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Prayer provides the trap door to escape. Many times we're not looking for the trap door. We're all about trying to get our way. So here's the third underlying cause. The first is our passions, unmet sinful desires. The second is prayerlessness. And then he's going to also say the third is friendship with the world. Look with me at verse 4. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James is saying to us that sinful anger is the result of bad company. Now the word friendship here is the word phileo. It means a deep and abiding 
friendship. It is not simply just meeting someone and kind of liking them and having an acquaintance. This word friendship means to have shared values and interest. James here is not speaking about a Christian involved in a church that is going through life and, and slips up and, and does not exhibit self-control but lashes out in anger. And when they do, they are convicted of it. They repent of it. They mourn over it and receive God's grace of forgiveness and God's grace to transform, not to do that again. That is not what he's referring to here. Rather, he is speaking about a friendship with the world that is an ongoing appreciation of the world's system of sensuality, of materialism, of seeking after pleasures. And when one does that, anger will be a result of it. That is what James is saying. So be careful who you are friends with, not the world. When I was in seventh grade, we lived up in northern Minnesota, and there was a guy named Brad who was my age, and he was around the corner. And we began to hang out. And one night during supper, well, we were eating, and, um, and I said something really smart. And by that, I don't mean in a complimentary way. I mean just sarcastic to my stepdad. Um, my stepdad was really quick. You know, you've, you've probably seen the Old West ones with the holster and the gun, and you go like this. Well, this guy here could reach across the table and slap me on the back of the head without even seeing his arm. And so I said something smart, and he's just like, and so I'm eating peas or something like that, and I go like this. And, and he said, I don't know where that came from, but don't ever say something like that again. And my older brother was there at the table, and he says, you know what? I'll tell you where that came from. Chad has been hanging out with his new friend named Brad. And so my stepdad said, listen, I don't know who this Brad is, but if that's the way you're going to act around him, then I don't want you hanging out with Brad because he will influence you this way. And so James is saying that if we hang out with the world, this is what you can expect. Selfish desires that are flourishing, expressing itself in anger. So this friendship, you'll find out here, actually flourishes. And and look at again at the first word of verse 4. It says, you adulterous people. So what is the cause of my anger? What is the underlying cause? It is that we have now, instead of being married to Jesus, if we have entered into a relationship with Jesus, we are seeking an adulterous relationship with the world. So he calls us, you adulterous people. What is the cause of my anger? It is an adultery problem. This is language that we see in the Old Testament. Instead of seeking my satisfaction and fulfillment in my relationship with Jesus through the cross, I am seeking my satisfaction and fulfillment through the things of this world. That's why I have this sinful anger problem. Okay, so... We're sitting across the table, and there's Dr. James. He says, I think I, I, think I understand. Um, you, you've got some anger problems. I've heard about the symptoms. Uh, I've seen the broken relationships that you've experienced. We've talked about this is all about your unmet selfish desires. It's about you betraying God and acting out on your sinful anger. But I've got good news for you. There is a treatment. And I praise God that there is a treatment for your anger. You see, there was one in the Bible that went on this pursuit. He had these desires. 
And what he sought to do was to fulfill those desires. And he had an expense account that would allow him to do so. And so he went and he built these massive buildings. He had these fragrant gardens. Anything he wanted to eat or drink, he could. He was with a lot of different women. He was acquainted with some of the finest music. And yet this man named Solomon, despite going after all these pursuits, was left unfulfilled. In fact, he concluded it this way, it's all vanity. It is all empty. That's what we're studying on Wednesday nights, if you'd like to be a part of that study. And so where does this, these desires take us to emptiness? But the treatment for our anger is to return to our jealous God. Look with me at verse 5. It says here, He yearns jealously over the spirit that He has made to dwell in us. God is not willing to allow you to remain in that angry state, destroying your life. He is jealous. And this word jealous is a good word. It's the, it's the word that we would use for a godly man that is leading his wife, sharing the truth with her, and then finds out that she is flirting with another man. It is appropriate for him to be jealous over that. In the same way, God is jealous over us when we are dabbling with friendship with the world. So he will pursue us. And one of the ways he may do that is allow us to experience some of the consequences of our anger. Remember in our church in Michigan, there was a, a couple that would come very faithfully for a season there. She was very outgoing and was a magnificent singer. He was really quiet. At the end of service, my wife and I would go out the, the double doors in the back and he'd come by and shake hands and he would say two words. Later, Gator. And then he would go on out. That was about the only thing I ever heard from him. I found out that he had an alcohol problem. He had an anger problem. One day he was there on our front door. He says, my wife has asked that I would leave. I've been kicked out of my house for my alcohol and for my anger. God has got my attention. I want to get right with God. What do I need to do? And at that moment, this man was ready to hear the truth. We would have an early morning Sunday study, and he would come to that, and he became very faithful. As best I know, they got restored. It was because God used him to, to God used that circumstance for him to be able to see the consequences of his sin. We read last week that God has another wisdom. It is peaceable. It is gentle. It's open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Another treatment is, as we get this restored relationship with God connected to that, is we have to humble ourselves to receive God's transforming grace. God will help you with your anger. You need to humble yourself. Look with me at what it says in verse 6. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When we are confronted with our anger and the consequences of it, we have to confess that to God. We have to confess that to the people that we have wronged. We humble ourselves. And once we humble ourselves, we are then eligible to receive God's grace of forgiveness and then God's grace of also transformation in our lives. 
I think I'm probably speaking to a group of people that are on a wide spectrum of anger this morning. There are some that have flashes of anger, but it doesn't dominate your life. But there are probably some on the other spectrum that this is a real pattern in your life. And just one message like this will not do. But more study, more thoughtfulness, and more application is what is needed. I come across this little counseling booklet. I've tried to keep these in front of our church family. But here's a little one called Anger. It's called Escaping the Maze by David Powelson. It's not unusual for me to put this into some people's hands and say, why don't you read through this? This actually provides a real strategy on how to deal with anger. And what I really like about it is it's small. Now, I had ordered these earlier in the week so they would be here on Sunday. And I was assured that they would be here, but they're not here and I'm angry about it. (laughs) But Lord willing, according to Amazon, they'll be here tomorrow night, which does me no good this morning, right? But I've ordered 25 of these, and if you would like a copy of them, feel free to take one of these next week or sometime this week. And it helps you kind of walk through a process of which you can systematically deal with anger, that sin in your life. But others, this booklet is just getting you started, and you really need to have a trusted friend that will walk you through this pattern in your life. And if that is you, contact me, contact Rob, and we would help be happy to help you in that process. Let's conclude then with this. What is the prognosis? I mean, can I just go down to the pharmacy? And can I get some antibiotics for this anger? And and if I just go through a, a, a phase with these antibiotics, will that treat me for good? Well, the battle against this selfish anger will last the rest of our lives. I think I've found that for some of us, the older we get, and and maybe the wiser we get, we understand that the little things are not worth getting angry about anymore. I mean, there were times when I would get upset over a bike in the driveway, right? But the older you get, you're like, God, you've ordained this for me today. So let me just get this and move this out of the way. So hopefully, as God's grace and God's wisdom is taking more and more of a root of your life, you're becoming less angry. But then there's also another side of that, where it could be that the older you get, the crankier you get as well. And so just because you're older doesn't mean that you're going to have more and more self-control. But be assured of this. The prognosis is, this is a sin that we will fight the rest of our lives. So there you have Dr. James. He's covered the symptoms. He's covered the underlying causes. He's given you a treatment. God is still pursuing you. God's grace is still available to you. And this isn't going to be one installment of one bottle of medication. Rather, this is going to be something for the rest of your life. Let me just say another word about this. Some of us have different personalities. Some of us have an anger that is explosive and you don't have to wonder at all if that person is angry. That's not the kind of anger I have. I have a very dignified sort of anger. I have an anger, let me tell you how this works for me. I have an anger that could be expressed towards my wife or I understand that it's my responsibility to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I understand that it's my responsibility to know my wife and to lead her and to love her in that certain way and to defer to her. 
And there are times where I could say to her, honey, what would you like to do? And we will go along with that. And I will think, I am really loving her. But on the inside, I resent that I don't get my way. And you would never know it. But it is just as sinful. God knows our hearts. God knows our desires. And if you didn't hear anything else tonight, this is serious stuff. May God apply His grace to our desires and change them to seek after Him, to pursue Him with as much passion as we've pursued our own stuff. Let's pray towards that end, shall we? Our prayer earlier today was that you would take your word and you would run it over our hearts, over our lives, and show us what's really going on in there. Help us now to be better equipped to see why it is we have conflict with others, with you, and and with ourselves. Oh, make us very uncomfortable, very discontent with the state of our hearts. May it bother us if we see selfishness there. Instead of our passions ruling us, it is our desire for your Holy Spirit to rule us every corner of our life. Rule our church. May we be different. May we be ruled with this peaceable, merciful fruit that can only come through a work that you are doing in our lives. Exhibit the Spirit's fruit of self-control. And may we not fake it, but may your work be in our life, our God, that would really prove that we love one another and will follow You. Lord, I pray for those this morning. I think every one of us have anger in a sinful way. Would You help us with that? If there are people that just need to be equipped further with that, oh, that's what the church is for. May they humble themselves and ask for help that they would receive that help. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.